Brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Seeing what others have seen, but uncovering what others may not. Global research that helps you harness disruption. Voted top global research firm five years running. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated. Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast on the world of mergers and acquisitions. I'm your host, Alex Sherman. Well, we're almost done with 2016, and what a year it's been. I'll refrain from any additional commentary there, but in the world of M&A, it's been a pretty good year. In fact, a very good year with almost $3 trillion in total deal volume. Not as good as last year, which was record-setting at nearly $4 trillion in volume, but we had quite a few large deals this year. And so for this week, we wanted to give you all our best year-in-review episode and what some of the biggest deals this year may signal for 2017. So joining us in studio is Bloomberg Executive Editor of Deals, Jeff McCracken, and joining us from our London bureau, Bloomberg Managing Editor for Deals, Aaron Kirchfeld, who runs our European M&A coverage. These are heavy hitters, folks, so you're you're in the presence of greatness. (laughs) Thanks for being here. Thank you, Alex. Thanks for having me. Uh, Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We've picked five deals for you all that we think best sum up the year and have potentially meaningful effects for 2017. So let's start with the obvious one, the biggest deal of the year, AT&T buying Time Warner. Now, obviously, it's still unknown if regulators will allow this deal to be passed, although for legal reasons, I think it will be hard to stop because it's there is precedent that these types of deals tend to go through, assuming the FCC doesn't get involved. Uh, but there are some broader implications for this deal that may have major influences on media and telecom M&A in 2017. Yeah, so to go to your first point, Alex, I feel I have 90-something percent confidence this deal is going to get approved. No matter what candidate Trump said months ago, I think President Trump realizes this is, you know, when, when he puts people in charge of antitrust, they're going to tell him, they're going to say, listen, there, there's no issue here. We can press them and make them divest a few things here and there. But the, the, the very strict scrutiny we've seen from the Obama administration is going to fall by the wayside pretty quickly. What I think will be interesting is if this deal does get uh, completed, which would probably be toward the end of next year, usually these deals, these big deals like this, take about a year. Um, recently even longer than that um a little bit more than a year uh i'm thinking about like charter buying time warner cable after the comcast deal fell apart to go through then the question is what will the response deals be or will we see response deals that sort of dovetail this deal and they won't even wait in order for the deal to be approved such as when at&t bought direct tv that came just months after comcast bought time warner cable uh are there obvious deals in the media world, and this is global media world, that might make sense as sort of a next step, meaning, okay, at and buying Time Warner. Well, then that means that we should do what? So I'll just talk about here my thoughts on the U.S. and love to hear your thoughts, Alex. But I feel like Comcast is going to be the next big guy to make a play, whether that is for T-Mobile or they wait for T-Mobile and Sprint to perhaps come together, and then they make a run at those. That's the deal I would be keeping an eye on if if I was tracking M&A. So I wonder if Comcast... So that is one obvious direction that Comcast could go in. The issue there is that there's historically, U.S. cable companies have shied away from wireless. Now, the world has changed recently, but Comcast already has a deal in place with Verizon where they can at least test out whether or not there is any interest 
in selling wireless. Basically, the deal that Comcast has with Verizon right now is it allows Comcast to sell Verizon wireless service with its package, with Comcast package of internet to the home and TV and all the services that, that Comcast sells. And Comcast can, in essence, try out, is there any consumer appetite for someone to buy their wireless through Comcast, which would somewhat be the reason why Comcast would buy one of these wireless companies. They'd be able to put all of their programming on the wireless, and that would be true TV everywhere, et cetera, et cetera, similar to why AT&T is buying Time Warner in many ways. The deal with Verizon may allow them to test this out to see if there is some appetite to bundle all of these services together. If Comcast decides there isn't really, in fact, this probably isn't the best use of our money, Aaron, I wonder, Comcast has long speculated that they are interested in doing international expansion. Is there an obvious European target that Comcast could tackle? Comcast really has no big presence outside the United States today. Well, look, I mean, there's a number of large uh, telco players in Europe uh, that have been speculated as targets or uh, or buyers. Um, I mean, the one that has been going on for years, it feels like, never-ending, is is uh, Vodafone. What happens to Vodafone? Uh, the, the old chestnut is obviously a Vodafone-Liberty combo, something we and others have written about many times. And a lot of people think it's just a question of— uh, This is John Malone's Liberty Global. That's right. That's right. And a lot of people think, you know, it's just a question of uh, when, not if, with that deal. And the idea behind it being obviously the convergence of telco and content. So, look, I mean, one could argue that there's some attractive targets over here, whether it's a Vodafone or some of the other national uh, carriers in Europe and continental Europe that Comcast could take a look at. So just one more point on AT&T Time Warner before we move on to deal number two. One thing that did strike me. Uh, is that Verizon also made a, a notable acquisition this year. They bought Yahoo for $4.8 billion. That compares to AT&T's purchase of Time Warner, which was like $85 billion or something like that. So the AT&T deal uh, came just a year and a half after it bought DirecTV, uh, and that was another big $40 billion-plus deal. So these two companies, AT&T and Verizon, which in essence do the same thing, sell wireless service uh, to customers around the United States, have gone in very different directions. Verizon's big deal was buying back Verizon Wireless from Vodafone a couple of years ago. So, in, in essence, Verizon has sort of doubled down on wireless, whereas AT&T has decided they want to make these enormous bets in video and content. So it is interesting to me that these two companies that more or less do the same thing have sort of gone in different directions, and I think each one looks at the other one and says, you're not doing it right. Um, so I wonder how that sort of transpires. Does does Verizon decide, let's start copying AT&T, or do they stick with their, we just want to spend a really, really, really low amount on a couple acquisitions and test out whether or not there's something in mobile video and advertising, but we're not willing to jump in with two feet in 2017. And what would be the moves, if you were Verizon and you wanted to copy AT&T, what are the right moves to make? So the obvious one is to buy Dish. That would be the first step. AT&T bought DirecTV. There's one other big satellite mobile video player out there they also own a lot of wireless spectrum so if verizon buys dish in 2017 that would be an indication that they've sort of given up on their current strategy and they're going to start copying at&t's strategy are they giving up on their strategy or would they just be trying to expand on that strategy it's it's you know they are both they they've got they've got room to make mistakes 
you know, they're what I think uh, Verizon's two hundred billion ish uh, market cap, AT and T's two hundred and thirty billion. Um, I, I keep looking for Verizon to do a bigger deal. I mean, they spent one hundred and thirty billion dollars a few years ago to buy the rest of their stake back from Vodafone. But as you said, when did they do a big deal that is outside their core wireless business? Sure, and so so you're right to some degree. Dish wouldn't be a complete waving the towel on their strategy because it's not as big as either Time Warner or Directv. Enterprise value about $37 billion right now, market cap of about $27 billion. And some of that is wireless spectrum, and the rest of it is sort of a slowly fading satellite TV business. And Dish has already, by the way, really transitioned its business toward mobile video with its Sling product. It's really cannibalizing itself. So in essence, it's sort of positioning itself to be acquired by Verizon. Uh, but Verizon, for years, has said they have no interest in buying this legacy satellite business, unlike AT&T. So maybe Dish gets cheap enough where Verizon decides, I'm willing to do this, plus I'll take all your spectrum, which it needs anyways. Uh, so that might be one to look out for in 2017. Well, Alex, you, you mentioned one company that, that caught my ear, uh, Deutsche Telekom T-Mobile USA. That's a fascinating case to watch because if you'll remember, just a year ago or beyond, that all the talk was about T-Mobile USA being a basket case for Deutsche Telekom. They would love to get rid of it. Obviously, Sprint tried to buy it, but that ran into antitrust issues. But now, T-Mobile USA has become the darling of Deutsche Telekom. All their earnings have been driven by a recovery in the U.S. business. And so you have to ask yourself, is Deutsche Telekom still looking to sell, or do they see that as a platform to build and buy? All right, so let's go to number two. But, but just before we go there, let's pause for a quick word from our sponsor. Brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Seeing what others have seen, but uncovering what others may not. Global research that helps you harness disruption. Voted top global research firm five years running. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated. Okay, we're doing a year in review, and we're on to number two here, Bayer Monsanto. Aaron, remind us about this deal. Give us sort of the size and scope and why it's important for 2017. Well, I got to go back to what you were saying about the biggest deal of the year, uh, briefly, AT&T Time Warner, because I've got to admit, I'm a bit biased. I was, while I love that we broke that deal, uh, it ruined uh, our European year, in quotation marks, because until then, Bayer Monsanto had been the biggest deal of the year driven out of Europe. So uh, you may recall just a few months ago, this was kind of the end of a, a, a ongoing saga for years. Monsanto, the, the gigantic uh, seeds and crop science company in the U.S., had been looking to buy various companies in Europe. Uh, especially Syngenta. But when that deal fell apart, um, they became, rather than the buyer, they, they became the target. And buyer then came out of somewhat out of nowhere and announced plans that it wanted to buy Monsanto, which ended up being, interestingly enough, the biggest German takeover of all time um, ever done. And if you crunch the data very, very uh, carefully, it's the biggest all-cash takeover offer. And it's created the world's biggest supplier of seeds and pesticides. What does it mean for 2017? Are there other companies here that may become targets because of this deal? Well, I think we've already seen a big shakeout. So just in, it was a bit of a domino effect there. So what we saw was when Monsanto tried to buy Syngenta, uh, that deal failed. But then the Chinese, ChemChina, jumped on the Syngenta train, and they ended up uh, acquiring that company for $43 billion. So then you saw all the other crop science players look around thinking, what are we going to do? we got to move fast. 
you saw Dow DuPont do a deal in the U.S., and then you saw the Bayer Monsanto deal. So what you're going to see, you've seen a consolidation in that sector as all the players are rushing to buy the last remaining targets. In terms of kind of follow-up, what you're going to see next year is obviously there's a huge antitrust question for all three of those deals. So they're going to have to sell a lot of the non-core businesses, and that's going to lead to you know smaller M&A deals. But for the most part, it's just been kind of a, a perfect example of an industry consolidating when, once the first domino fell. So that Bayer Monsanto deal, if you include debt, almost $66 billion. And you led right into our number three deal, uh, ChemChina buying Syngenta. Jeff, there are some some Chinese implications with this deal that that may be uh, you know indicative of what we may or may not see in 2017. Remind us about how this deal came together and then what it it may mean from a big deal that we see from China moving in uh, to another country and why that may not repeat itself in 2017. Yeah, as, as Aaron was indicating, this all kind of started because Monsanto made not one but at least two very public uh, attempts to buy Syngenta, and they could not come to a deal. Then the fall of, I guess it would have been the fall of 2015, we learned that uh, Chem China was making a run in Syngenta, and then that deal eventually got announced. I believe it's around $46 billion, uh, including debt there in the total value. It's the biggest outbound Chinese deal ever, the biggest Chinese deal into the U.S. Uh, so there are a lot of questions about, you know, CFIUS and what will regulators in other countries, will they be okay with this kind of deal? Because we're talking about seeds and we're talking about agriculture, and, and that can concern, that can be very concerning. At this point, it seems like it's moving along. But one big implication, I think, not just of that deal, but other deals such as Dick Clark Studio or the Dick Clark Production Company being bought by the Chinese. By Wanda, right. Exactly. The Chinese government has made it clear that they are going to restrict outbound big Chinese M&A. I believe anything over $10 billion, they're going to either right. they're going to ban. Dick Clark was only about $1 billion. Right, right. But the really big $10 billion-plus deals are going to be restricted or banned or whatever by the Chinese government. So... This was a year, 2016, was a year of Chinese outbound deals. We may see that fade away in 2017. And once again, that ChemChina deal, more than $40 billion. So that's exactly the type of deal that may not repeat itself in 2017. All right, let's move on to number four. Uh, Number four is a deal that did not happen, but we thought it was worthy to put on this list, uh, and that's Twitter. Uh, You know, Twitter had been long rumored to be a target it finally did run a process in sort of the late summer fall um, of this year, and there were no buyers, uh, as it turned out. Salesforce took a look, Disney took a look, Google took a look. They all passed, uh, in some part because uh, we uh, broke some of the, the, the names of those buyers, and then shareholders reacted against those deals. The question there, I think, is... Does Twitter get bought in 2017? Uh, and I can certainly tell you that some of the people around the Twitter acquisition say, we certainly hope so, uh, you know, that this is still a sales target. Uh, and, and, and the hope, I suppose, would be that maybe one of those buyers circles back. And if Twitter falls a little bit from its stock price falls, uh, you know, maybe into like the $14, $15 range from around 18 or so, where it's trading now, then maybe one of those buyers comes back. The problem with that, as we talked about on a previous episode of this show, is that if all investors assume that a buyer will come back, they then they'll buy the stock now because they're going to want to buy it since it's going to be a target. And maybe Twitter never falls low enough 
for some buyer to come along and scoop it up because all the investors assume that's going to happen and never allow it to fall that, that You low. and I had a conversation in August and September saying, let's be ready next year when Twitter se- when Twitter sells. And that all accelerated. Was it uh, October, I believe, when all of a sudden we, we realized Twitter was running a process? And then, as you said, Disney and Salesforce and, and Google were all taking a look. And the investors, they're smart. These people who, you know, whether we're talking about the ARBs or the institutional investors or others, they're not going to let this company slip because they realize it fits really well with a number of other companies. The question on that one, I think, is if Twitter is acquired and it is by one of those strategics, that deal also may have further implications. Um, It's possible that some of the big internet players like Google and Facebook will not buy Twitter for antitrust concerns. We certainly have seen uh, the European Union crack down on Google a little bit, a little less so on Facebook. Uh, the United States has typically let these companies do what they want. You know, Facebook bought WhatsApp a couple of years ago in a fairly large deal, almost $20 billion. Uh, it will be interesting as these two companies really separate themselves over time, sort of taking all of the growth in digital advertising, uh, if these companies will be gun-shy on doing even bigger uh, you know, social media deals that Twitter would probably be a little less than WhatsApp, but certainly Google has stayed away from this. Um, so if those don't do it, you know, you then wonder, well, maybe it will be Disney. And if Disney is willing to spend 15 to $20 billion on Twitter, what does that mean for the content world? Uh, are they, are, you know, are we going to see more and more of these legacy media companies buying digital media companies and spending big money on it? Or will Twitter become one of these zombie tech companies like Zynga and Yelp and Groupon that sort of struggle in obscurity, Twitter being a larger version of them, but can't get anyone to come along and buy it because the numbers don't work? And I just want to throw in the fact that we probably will not see anyone in Europe make a run for Twitter. Technology, I mean, there are, of course, big technology companies in Europe, but by and large, this is a... San, this is a San Jose, Santa Clara, San Francisco playland. You know, most of the biggest tech companies in the world are based in that stretch of uh, stretch of uh, geography, if you will. I think the only exception in that space, Jeff, uh, though, in terms of tech, because I agree, tech deals are definitely driven out of the West Coast, is uh, you have a lot of the world's biggest car makers here. We're talking VW, BMW, Daimler. And every car banker out there, all they can talk about is tech and how they're spending more time in Silicon Valley looking for targets, you know, those who would add software, intelligence for driverless technology for every big car maker in Europe. They're so hungry for those deals. That's going to be a huge theme going forward. And there certainly are some major players in Asia, Alibaba, Tencent, Baidu, not that these companies would necessarily come after Twitter, but they are looking for U.S. Silicon Valley companies uh, and and entertainment companies based in L.A. to potentially get bigger. Uh, Again, we'll have to see uh, you know, if they're, they're probably not going to do real big acquisitions because of what we just talked about, but maybe they'll dabble in some, you know, smaller $1 to $5 billion uh, tech acquisitions and entertainment acquisitions. And then, of course, there's one big um, wild card here, which is SoftBank's new private equity fund. SoftBank is raising a $100 billion private equity fund and has said, we plan on doing some major deals starting in 2017. So will SoftBank be, the SoftBank fund, be a major player for some of these technology funds? You'd have to say that the answer is yes at that point, uh, at, at this point. And so we're looking, you know, for, for, for this fund to potentially be an acquirer of companies, let's say, ranging between $1 billion and $50 billion or so. 
Um, all right, let's move on to number five, and that's uh, th- th- we're actually going to give you two deals on number five because it's the sort of the same theme, which is uh, Praxair and Linde and and NXP and Qualcomm, both of those deals, uh, which talk to the repatriation of cash. In other words, uh, you know, companies using internationally uh, held money and bringing it back uh, overseas uh, to make acquisitions for tax purposes. You wonder, is this going to continue in 2017, or is Trump's tax policy going to uh, actually, by lowering the tax rate in this country uh, and also allowing for repatriation of money, are we going to see more domestic acquisitions or more international acquisitions? So my thought is he will, one of the very first things that will happen in 2017 with the new administration is a huge tax plan. It's going to be tax cuts and repatriation, as you said, the the bringing back of uh, all the all the offshore cash that U.S. companies have been holding in Europe and elsewhere, that money will come pouring back. And what we will see with that will be dividends. We will see uh, stock buybacks. We will see compensation jump for executives because of this brilliant thing that they do, which is you know pretty easy to do actually. And I think we'll see more deals in the U.S. So these two deals are worth pointing out: the Qualcomm deal and uh, the Praxair Lindy deal, because we might not see as much cross-border M&A next year and the years after when all that cash comes back, or not all, but much of that cash comes back. I want to get to some final thoughts here. Um, so those are the five deals that we sort of picked out uh, you know, as, as summations. Uh, I guess we should also point out Qualcomm NXP, again, is the same issue here with Qualcomm buying NXP, Qualcomm using its foreign money and then buying an international company, therefore, in NXP. But let's get to our final thoughts. This is who, what, what is, is her name Tammy Lauren? Is that, is that the woman in the United States that, 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 that has final thoughts? That was just on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Um, I, I, so I'm, I, I apologize to her. Um, so, you know, one of them is this tax repa- repatriation issue. Another one maybe is sort of what does AT&T Team Warner look for for media consolidation? I'm curious for both Aaron and Jeff, do you guys have sort of a final thought from 2016 that can be used to help investors think about what might be coming in 2017? Aaron, I will let you take the lead. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. So I've got two thoughts, and I think they're actually very closely related to what we discussed. And and this is all about the political changes we've seen. Obviously, the big news in the U.S. was the Trump election. Over here on this side of the Atlantic, it was the Brexit vote, uh, the U.K. uh, deciding to leave the European Union. That's raised a whole load of questions about what that means for European, but specifically UK deals. Um, Right after we saw the Brexit vote, which shocked a lot of people, there was a big deal announced. You mentioned SoftBank uh, going for Arm, uh, the tech company here. But beyond that, we've seen a huge slowdown. And it's kind of contradicted some of the predictions because people thought if Brexit happens, it's going to make a lot of UK companies very cheap. And while that's been true on on the currency front, you know, they've gone way down in terms of pounds, the stocks actually have rebounded pretty quickly making UK companies quite expensive. But what we're wondering going into next year is, do we see the takeout of some of the UK companies that are in the UK, so they are cheap, but they have a lot of global exposure, global businesses, so maybe an American company or an Asian company takes advantage of that 
and picks up a few of those those targets. The flip side of that is we've seen a lot of uh, companies here, whether it's the restaurant industry, the business industry, uh, the betting industry, et cetera, that are very exposed to the local economy here. So you have to ask yourselves, are they going to have to merge, cut out costs to survive and ride out what's probably going to be a pretty rough ride for the next few years? I think my prediction is 2017 is going to blow 2016 away in terms of deal volume. As you mentioned at the at the start here, we're at roughly $3 trillion in M&A this year. That's a good year. It's it's in line with 2012, 2013, 2014. Uh, you know, last year, 2015 kind of blew away most years, but a lot of those deals ended up getting, you know, blocked by regulators like Pfizer trying to do their big deal with Allergan and the big health insurance deals. So I wouldn't be surprised if next year looks a lot like 2015, where we're going to see $50 billion-plus deals coming at a pretty rapid pace once the administration's in and people realize the antitrust uh, scrutiny is is faded away. My prediction will be that a lot of the deals that are currently in the market or some of the big deals that will be announced, because I do agree with Jeff that I think we're going to see a lot of bigger deals announced in 2017, my prediction is that from a regulatory standpoint, there is going to be a lot of uncertainty and that the the closing of these deals may end up being messy. From my understanding already, what we are seeing in sort of the lame duck transition period here between the Obama administration and the Trump administration in this country is that the Trump administration perhaps, from and this is from talking to people that are sort of in the regulatory world and some uh, bankers and lawyers, uh, the Trump administration was uh, caught off guard a little bit Uh, at the realization that so many people in the Obama administration clear out when the Obama administration leaves. And what that has left is sort of uh, a regulatory environment where there's sort of nobody home. And so a lot of these deals, I think, are going to continuously be pushed off until Trump can staff correctly uh, these regulatory agencies. Now, the result of that may not be what I'm saying. It may be that a lot of these deals are just accepted quicker. But my guess is that there's going to be a pause here in the early stages of 2017, where these deals sit in purgatory to some degree, uh, as Trump figures out how to staff correctly and fill all these positions. Uh, so we will see if AT&T, Time Warner, and some of the health insurance deals, and Bayer Monsanto, and ChemChina Syngenta, we'll see if they just sort of wallow along early on in 2017 without a decision being made, or if, in fact, some of these deals get pushed through. Because I do think that that's what CEOs are going to be looking for. They're going to be looking for a sign from the Trump administration about whether or not they can proceed uh, with big M&A. And if they get that sign early on in 2017, then I think we're going to see a big year. But if these deals just sort of continue to be hazy and they get the you know can kick down the road, then it may not be until, let's say, the end of 2017 before we get a lot of M&A action. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the second half of 2017 is probably going to be when we see a, a huge run in M&A. You know, some of the deals like Honeywell, UTX, which were considered and studied and analyzed, may come back, especially if, they, if, if the, uh, the companies get a sense that the antitrust uh, scrutiny has faded. Yeah. And for me over in here in Europe, uh, I think the key word here is protectionism, because while people are kind of expecting some of that out of the Trump administration, we're seeing it more and more over in Europe. And there's elections in Germany, there's elections in France coming up next year. And for the first time, we're seeing German politicians go out and saying, we need to work harder to 
to, to block some of these Chinese deals. And so it will be really interesting to say, see. We just saw it last week. Obama, I think, blocked uh, only the third time a Chinese deal that involved the U.S. You know, whether we'll see more of those measures in Europe, uh, because before, really, the bankers, the lawyers that are, you know, making the fees on these deals, they were counting on particular Chinese interest into Europe as the Chinese moved away from the U.S. to kind of feed the mega, mega transactions coming, coming forward. So that's it for this week's episode. Happy holidays to you. Thank you, Jeff and Aaron, for joining us. Uh, once again, remember, you can listen to all episodes on iTunes or on Bloomberg.com or on the Bloomberg Terminal or any app you use to listen to podcasts. And please rate and review the show while you're on iTunes. And if you have any guest ideas or topic ideas for the new year, please email me at asherman6 at Bloomberg.net. Also, follow me on Twitter at Sherman4949. Jeff, where can people find you on Twitter? JC McCracken. And Aaron? AKMNA. See you next week. Brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Seeing what others have seen, but uncovering what others may not. Global research that helps you harness disruption. Voted top global research firm five years running. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated.